What's up, what's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, The Football Academy. I'm here supporting tonight with Braden and Will. How's it going, guys? Don't mind me. I'm just having a pate. And if you like more bad jokes, uh, hang around. I can't believe I show up on this episode with a cold and you beat me to the first joke of the episode. I'm glad you're in a jovial mood, you bunch of jerks. Let's start the damn show. <laughs> All right, Raiden, do you want to recap on what happened with our betting yeah. from last weekend? Yeah, so it was a pretty good week uh, in the pod books department for uh, two-thirds of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so I will uh, go real quick, if it's your first time listening, uh, what we do here. We get $100 each game to bet uh, as we like on each of the games on the three-way money line. Uh, so going into that, we'll go straight into the results. Uh, third place this week, uh, cooling off from some of his earlier season form, uh, we have Will with 527.35 for a rich ROI of uh, minus 47.3. Uh, so not great, Will, but you've had some uh, you've had some good earlier weeks. So, oh man. <laughs> In uh, second place this week, uh, returning 1870. Let's go. Picking two two (laughs) matches correctly. uh, (laughs) Going all in on Villa. And and when I get to my piece, it's not going to be much better. Um, (laughs) Is Sapoon for ROI of 87%. Very nicely done this week. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And in first place, I finally got into winning ways uh, with a return of $2,145.81 or an ROI of 114.6. I'm pretty happy with that. I also had a massive bet on uh, Aston Villa. Uh, Kind of... Like just looking at the odds and thinking it's something it might happen, but you know, also you know, Villa put together a pretty good team so far. But uh, it, it really uh, that game really changed a lot <laughs> in in the uh, bets this week. Of course, it did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the back-to-back weeks. You've had uh, big odds pay off against the title favorites potentially because you had Leicester City the week before, and then you have um, Aston Villa toppling Liverpool this week. So maybe we will keep seeing uh, these, you know, heaters of bets because I guess nobody's really figured out how these teams are going to behave. So I think that is going to be an, an interesting aspect to see how these, uh, even the returning players from injury behave with Aguero coming back for City, you know, Pulisic, Zia coming back for Chelsea as well. It'll be interesting how all of them do. But Let's get caught up on the transfer window real quick. We will have a full episode dedicated to reviewing, so we won't go too much in depth. But uh, Braden said, Thomas Partey, you got to be very happy about him coming to Arsenal. Yeah, very excited. I think he's a player that Arsenal need. I think he really fills a a massive hole in the midfield for just kind of a a player who's just an all-around stud who will help us with uh, ball retention and winning the ball back. And I all the things that Arsenal have kind of needed to balance out their squad, I think he does really well at. Absolutely. So that's going to be interesting. But uh, I think we will delve in further into all the other teams and the millions that every other team has seemed to spend uh, this window. But that's all for a different podcast. We will get into the games that happened this weekend and nowhere else to start but Stamford Bridge. Chelsea for Crystal Palace now. A game we all kind of doubted Chelsea in. But um, again, we all kind of said this is a game that they are going to come back, swing in after having kind of uh, been shocked at uh, by West Brom. And here we were. 4-0, I don't think quite reflective of how good... Uh, or how decent Crystal Palace were, but at the end of the day, two penalties, can't really complain, can we? What, do you, what did you think, Braden? I mean, I don't think this... I think the scoreline's a little too far. I, I don't know that Chelsea were four goals better than Palace, but I do think they pretty comprehensively beat Palace in this match, especially in the second half. I think the first half was very... Uh, 
I don't know, just kind of a Chelsea team that couldn't figure out how to beat Palace. And then Palace just kind of being Palace and not really having much to offer going forward if they weren't catching someone on a break. So Chelsea were deserved winners and I think dominated this game, but maybe four is a little flattering to them. I can agree with that. Um, I will say Palace only had 29% of possession throughout the entirety of the match. So they did get comprehensively beaten by Chelsea, but it was still a Chelsea team kind of still finding their footing. Again, we're all going to say the same thing. The scoreline was a little bit indicative of it makes it look like Chelsea stomped them into the ground. And unlike some other results this weekend, it wasn't quite that one sided. Um, I think Crystal Palace may find themselves solidly top half of the bottom half of the table or somewhere towards the, they'll be fine. They looked fine. They just lacked teeth up front, uh, except for, you know, that guy. Um, but this Chelsea team have much more to show and a good win from them. Hopefully they can get their feet up under them and get a little run going. Not hopefully. I wish nothing but ill will upon them, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I think uh, as far as Chelsea went, this was a massive, massive result for them. But again, looking at the XG, I mean, Crystal Palace didn't really create much to, you know, say that they had a chance in this game. So Chelsea with a 2.51 XG compared to Crystal Palace's 0.1. So nothing really, in my opinion, to say that the result should have gone the other way. But again, as we all agreed, 4-0, a bit too much uh, or too harsh on Crystal Palace. But a result that wasn't too harsh, in my opinion, on either one of the two teams. Everton, top of the table, with a 4-2 thumping of Brighton, Hove, Albion at home. Everton, uh, brilliant, brilliant game so far. And uh, sitting pretty after score putting, I think, four past a Brighton team that really, I guess, I had high hopes from. But everybody else seemed to encourage uh, predict is going to struggle a little bit. What did you think, Will? Uh, the Brighton team, I, I'm, I've i been making, in my illness, I've been making early where I think I'm going to fall, see everyone fall. Brighton looking like a team who are going to fall in the middle of the pack. I see, like, they're going to have good performances and they're all going to come against teams who we expect them to have them against. The teams are going to get relegated and the teams are going to sit in the bottom half of the table. I don't think they have enough to go up and fight any of the bigger guys. Uh, and that's fine. They're just going to do what they do. Everton are a proper squad. They're a proper team. And I really wish I could give you some more insight into it, but these guys look legit. I don't know what Ancelotti put in the fucking water, but this Everton team are dangerous. And Calvin Lewin looks to be a proper striker. And I really want to stop fucking talking about Everton. <laughs> That's all I got from this match. I think this is an interesting result uh, to, to talk about from Everton's perspective. Uh, but we'll talk about Brighton real quick. I think that Brighton are kind of what maybe we thought they were. I think that they played well at times in this game. I think that Everton are just better overall. And I think this is something that Brighton's going to have to eventually get over this hump of playing well and just not quite getting a result. I will say that I think Brighton have had a pretty tough fixture list so far. And as they go through the season, I think they'll find points easier to come by as we, as we go down the list of fixtures remaining for them Uh, from Everton, you know, they, they've gotten off to a great start here. Like it's, it's impossible to deny what they've done, but I, I look at some of the goals that they're scoring. Like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of headers. There's a lot of uh, goals off of set pieces. There's a lot of things that I don't necessarily know that you can continue to win through a whole season, especially when you do play some of the better teams. Uh, but what they're doing right now is really working. They, they've got it clicking. Um, they do. And t- to back up to that point, they do have some players in Mina and Calvert-Lewin who are very, very good in the air. And so, uh, you know, maybe they can keep doing it. And maybe that's how they separate themselves uh, from some of these teams and really push to be contenders for uh, a lot higher expectations and ceiling than I thought they were at the beginning of the year. 
Absolutely. And I think Everton, whether people want to give credit to only James Rodriguez or really look at everything that Ancelotti has done, it's kind of uh, remarkable to see what where they currently are and the possibilities. But again, early season in a very weird, weird um, you know, restart and season that is upon us. So I think we shall uh, see how Everton and Brighton both compete going into what is going to be a very, very hectic set of fixtures for everyone present. Um, but moving along to another two teams that have shocked everybody, Leeds United taking on Manchester City. Leeds won, Man City won. I mean, City looked good for about 15 minutes in this game, in my opinion. And after they scored the first goal and everyone was like, okay, there's City. They're going to reply after that Leicester City loss. I mean, Leeds really dominated the entirety of the game after that. And I did not really see Man City have an answer to them. Brayden, did you have a different take than uh, City just getting dominated? Dominates, not really that strong of a word. Like, I think you just expect City to be better than they've been so far, and they just haven't been there. And so I think, Sophie, you brought this up last week, that um, teams specifically that played in Champions League, and, and I think this applies to... Arsenal will get to Liverpool later as well with um, their FA Cup and Community Shield chopping up their preseason. I I think that it's really affected these teams. I think we probably need to adjust our expectations of these teams down a good bit going forward, at least for the next probably month or two, uh, especially when they play teams that did have a full preseason. Because, uh, I mean, you see you see Leeds, they've gotten off to a, a really good start. Um, they push uh, Liverpool to the limits. They got a draw here against City. It's, it's hard to say anything other than Leeds look really strong. And this is another pretty flat performance from City that they, they just got to figure this out and do better because it's not it's not working right now. I'll dissent, but only just a wee bit. Um, I thought City looked good for about 45 minutes. Um, for that first 30 minutes of the match, I felt like they, they kind of looked like City. Uh, and then Leeds got one chance going forward, and then Leeds just kind of ran with it from there. Uh, again, minor dissent. Uh, City still looked flat at the back. The, it's, it's deadline day. The stat I saw is that since Pep's been there, he spent a half a billion dollars on defenders. That is an accurate stat. I saw it reported. Um, and this is the end result of that, like what we saw. We've said what we have to say about Leeds. I'm starting to agree with the point that both you guys have made, that maybe these guys are a little gassed. And not just a little gassed, like a lot of gas. City had to play a lot of games. Like there's a lot of teams who are going to underperform at the beginning, like you said, Braden, because they're going to be gassed. That lets other teams rise, and that's how people like Everton and Leeds are going to get their shit in while they can. So, for teams who have who can come out and play some blinding football out of the gate, take advantage of these games because eventually these guys will get some rest. I hope. I mean, I don't know to be honest with you, um, as far as that is concerned, because if I'm looking at the likes of you know Kevin De Bruyne, the Brunos, the Van Dykes, who are the very, very important part of both their club and national teams. I mean, when are they going to get a break? Because they're going to go for these international games right now, then they're going to have to come back for their clubs. And it's a non-stop schedule until after the World Cup. So, I mean, it, it does not look very, very um, nice for these players given... And again, England is the only country that's not going to allow five substitutions. Um, because even in the Champions League, the uh, English teams can make five subs as compared to everybody else. So I think those are precautions that the FA should have kind of taken into account and uh, seen how they could have helped teams out. But here we are going to stick to everything. But uh, I will say in terms of just looking at the XG map and the XG just for this game, I mean, very rarely do you see a Manchester City team with a whole ass, you know, expected 
uh, goals return from um, a full game being less than your opposition. Because I see Leeds at 2.57 and I see Manchester City at 1.42. So does tell you that not having Aguero, not having Jesus at the end of the day does take a toll on even the likes of Manchester City. But I won't be shutting it here for them, nor should you. Moving on to the next game, a game between two, I guess, giants in their own way who played in a very interesting game that you would have expected the two teams to be involved in. Newcastle United taking on Burnley. Newcastle ending up comprehensive winners. Newcastle 3, Burnley 1. Braden, can I get your early thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think Newcastle are figuring out who they are right now. Like, I think that I don't I don't think that they have solved everything. I don't think they're going to be like a really good or dominant team going forward. But they've got a lot of things that they've got a lot of pieces that I think they can figure out and be a pretty solid team. Like Callum Wilson continues to produce up top. Uh, St. Max from getting back from his knock is a big difference maker. They've got really nice pieces on this team. And I think, you know, last year, I think Newcastle and Burnley were kind of just more or less the same team playing each other. Uh, you know, big linger set pieces, uh, don't really want the ball, just want to keep it compact, defend, and then either hit you on a break or a set piece. And I, I don't think that's all that this Newcastle team has now. I think they have a few pieces that they can uh, play a little bit more build up um, as, as well as run the counter on you. There, there's a little bit more to this team and we'll see where it takes them. I, I think they're still a very solid mid table team, but they're at least interesting to watch now, which they were not at all last year. They're, they're fun to watch. That's the upgrade we've gotten, guys. Um, the most important thing they did here, uh, they went back to the back four. And I think that's where they're going to need to stick around for the rest of the season because they have performed better when they do a back four. If they go to the back three and try to get really experimental with it, it doesn't really work. Uh, it's Steve Bruce. Just, just play the bully ball and you'll be fine. Um, Burnley look, made Newcastle look really good. And this is coming from the guy who has a stupid bet based on Newcastle. I think Burnley played pretty shittily and Newcastle kind of ran away with it and they may have made them look a little better than we expect. With that being said, God damn, they made them look good and it felt good that I mildly enjoyed Newcastle. St. Maximin for president. But like, doesn't Burnley always play kind of shittily? You're so right, though, dude. Like, I was thinking as I was saying, I was like, they always do kind of play like beige football, just a bland. <laughs> I mean, when I look at Burnley, though, I don't really see a lot of inspiration. But with the way St. Maximin has been playing for Newcastle and the way Callum Wilson's been playing, it does look like they have this new energy where, you know, if you leave enough spaces open for a Newcastle team, they can hit you. And it's something that, as Braden said, we haven't really seen from a Newcastle team in a very long time. And who knows, maybe they do have a couple more surprising results in store. But talking about surprising results, I think this was one of the first that should have told us how the rest of the day was going to go. We had Leicester City take on West Ham United. And uh, I don't think any of us were expecting from home David Moyes to turn on an absolute football manager clinic out there and dismantle Leicester City 3-0 at the King Power. I mean, don't really have words. Well done, West Ham. And good job, David Moyes, I guess. Braden. Yeah, I don't really have a ton to say about this. It was just a really good performance from West Ham. <laughs> and I didn't really expect to... to say that much this early in the season after I watched them against Newcastle in the first game. But really, you have a, a game against Arsenal that um, if they weren't unlucky to not get something from, they weren't they weren't far from it. Uh, and then you know, they won the match before that, which surprised me. And then this game, like uh, they were just better than Leicester all the way around. And 
it, it's not even like a you can point to it being a fluke. Anything, just what like you. Based on where they finished last year, you would think these two teams were reversed. That Leicester was a team that barely survived relegation, and West Ham were the team that were knocking on the door for top four. And this is problematic for Leicester, in my opinion, because the things that we said about, you know, Liverpool, United, City, uh, and the other teams that had a shorter preseason, that doesn't apply to Leicester. So... What what's going on here? I think they and and maybe it's just not coming down from the uh, from being city. Maybe this is just a letdown spot. But we'll, we'll see. But they should probably they need to figure this out. <laughs> I I said it last week and I'll say it again, David Moyes, you genius. Like, wish you the speediest of recoveries, but dude, you're doing it from home and you're doing it better than you did when you were here. Um. I don't have. I didn't have a lot of notes for this match. I watched it. West Ham just played better, y'all. Like I don't have. Like there's nothing for me to add. I don't have anything punitive or funny to say. West Ham just looked like a pretty decent side, and Leicester didn't. And they played them off the park. And there's a lot more results for us to talk about coming up. But maybe some of these matches just teams being better than we thought they were. Um, but in this particular case, I think West Ham just came out and played a damn good game and we got to give them credit where credit's due. So David Moyes playing the world's longest distance FIFA game, like shout out to you. So I I will say this and it's, it's going to sound like an excuse, but it, is, it isn't really, but you look at the likes of Crystal Palace and Everton and stuff. Um, I look back at last season and you're like, we were talking about betting on these teams the last three to four weeks and they had nothing to play for. There was no European spot. There was not really a, you know, requirement for them to go out and compete at the highest level. And Leicester City, for what it's worth, were still in it until the final day. And like they were still trying to sort their shit out until the final day. So I think maybe there is still a mental edge to, you know, just the vacation time that these players normally get that they haven't gotten. So maybe some of the hangover for Leicester city that hopefully gets taken care of because ah, some of the hangover that is definitely going to kill a lot of teams, but we will be back in the second half of this week's podcast. We still have a lot more to uncover Manchester United and Liverpool conceding 13 goals combined that and a lot more to still come. What's up, guys? Back with the second segment of this podcast. We are starting off at Southampton, of all places. Liverpool under-23s, as we like to call them, kind of dismantled West Brom when they came to town. Southampton to West Brom now. Pretty convincing win, in my opinion, for Southampton. A much-needed win. And again, um, kind of cementing West Brom's uh, position as one of the two most likely teams, along with Fulham, to go down. Wouldn't you say so, Braden? Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty fair assessment. So West Brom has played decently against some of the um, bigger teams they played, most notably against Chelsea when they uh, got a draw that, uh, well, they I'm not going to say they should have won because Chelsea did have a very strong second half, but you don't expect to draw a game when you're leading 3-0 at half. Um, but... These like this was a game that they need to be a little bit more aggressive on and and really go out and try to get something from and I just didn't really see that from West Brom. Uh, good for Southampton to see someone besides Danny Ings scoring the goals. If they can continue to take some of that goal scoring pressure off of them, I think that will be uh, for the benefit of the team as a whole. And I think you're right. Like this is a pretty solid. Southampton just did the business and West Brom are hard to figure out. I think they have the talent, but I, I think they needed to do a little bit more business before the window closed. And uh, without doing that, I, I have some concerns. Agreed. Um, West Brom came out uh, at the beginning of the second half and they looked like they looked a little bit brighter. They looked like they had a little more going for them. That went away pretty quick, and then they didn't do anything for the rest of the match. 
everyone wants me to sing the praises of Southampton all day, so I will. Uh, Gineppo is very, very important to what makes that team go. He's, I always talk about the position that connects the ball from the middle to the front. He's what that is, but he's also a scorer. And like you said, Brandon, that takes the pressure off Danny, takes pressure off that front line. Everyone knows we have someone who can score from the midfield. Makes the guys play up front a little bit. Feel a little bit better about themselves. West Brom need to get their act together quickly or they're going to end up like Norwich, where we just keep hoping that they're going to do better and they're just not. They, the problem lies in the back. Any team who survives after being promoted has to be a little bit decently drilled at the back, and West Brom don't look like they know what they're doing. I want them to be a little more well-drilled because I like their manager, but if things don't change, they're going to end up just like Norwich. I mean, I think they're going to end up one better than Norwich because Fulham's going to make sure they're going to be the worst team this year in the league. <laughs> That that is the only silver lining <laughs> I have for West Brom right now, but I mean it, it's not looking good as you've said so far, and uh, I don't know how this gets better without the transfer that they really needed. And again, uh, one of the situations where a new team coming up, maybe trying to stay up without you know spending all the resources they have, but we shall see. In eight weeks from now, we'll have the January window open, so. We will find the answer real quick in terms of who wins and who loses come that transfer window. But a team that definitely is going to need a lot more help. Some of the reinforcements arrive towards the end of this window, but still seems like a huge, huge leap for them to stay in the Premier League. Fulham Football Club, again, lost to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves won, Fulham now. Not as much of a golf in class as you would have expected, but it felt like Wolves were kind of like, hey, we can win this game at 75%, so let's just stay at 75%. And that's ultimately what uh, Wolves does a lot of the times when they don't go up against teams that aren't necessarily at the top, top level. And uh, that was at full display. Will, did you have any other thoughts about this game? You can talk about Wolves, but I think I'd be better sort of talking about Wolves in a match in which they would have not run away winning no matter what. Fulham look bad. They look really, really bad. And against a 50% Wolves team, or 50%, a 50% speed Wolves team, they looked dreadful. They, oh, got, they got some pieces in, like you said, towards the end of the day. Uh, but I don't know what turns this boat around. It's been a minute since I've seen a team make me this mad. That's probably a lie. There's like 15 things you can clip up of teams making me this mad all the time. But right now, I'm mad at Fulham and Scott Parker because I talked about them earlier in the season and they let me down harder than a lot of stuff has let me down recently. So I'm kind of pissed and they look piss poor. Not going to lie, that's a bit harsh. Well, yeah. a bit harsh. I was going to say, that's not the assessment I had of this at all. Like if... If Wolves are 50%, that's Wolves' problem, not Fulham. Like, I think that Fulham played, you know, they kind of did what they did. They're an incomplete team that, I, you know, they were rumored with a, a number of uh, center backs. Uh, it looked like they were going to get some over the line, and then it fell through for them. And I think that that's really where this team needs to improve is that in midfield. I know they got Loftus-Cheek, and that's going to be a – that's going to be an upgrade for them, but uh, we'll get to that later in the week. They've got to figure out an attacking strategy other than just cross it in to Mitrovic and hope he's hope he's paired up against a fullback and can win that and, and head it in the back of the net because that's really all they do right now. Um, they did create one other chance. Uh, it, it was a big one. Uh, Kamara. And uh, Kamara's got to bury that. Like when Fulham are playing the way they are right now, just struggling to do anything, you get a chance uh, like that directly in front of goal, basically one-on-one with the keeper, and you just put it wide. That that That's not good enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the difference between Fulham and a team that's going to stay up this year are moments like that where you have a chance to get something from a game and you just don't have the quality to see it through. Absolutely. And it it really does suck for Fulham to be in the situation they are. And hopefully they can improve it a little bit, but we shall see what RLC and company bring uh, to this team because 
they do have an uphill battle in front of them. Somebody that did take care of business were Arsenal Football Club at the Emirates, taking on Sheffield United. Two quick-fire goals in the second half after... I would say it was a pretty drab first half. Not going to lie. Didn't really feel very excited about what was going on in the game. And then the second half, you see fireworks from um, Nicolas Pepe, especially for that second goal. And um, until McAldrick scored, it was it looked pretty even, in my opinion, after Arsenal taking the lead. Arsenal looked in a commanding situation and uh, ended up with the three points. I don't really care how they come. Uh, they're coming right now, and Arteta's got to be a happy man especially with the transfer in. So, Braden, are you very, very happy with where you guys are at currently? I mean, I'm happy with the like league position, the, the points return on these games. I, I, I'm fine with that. Um, I, your assessment of the first half is very, very correct. Just an absolutely miserable match to watch. Um, Arsenal are doing this thing right now where they play very well at the back and they have... They're very, they know exactly what they're trying to do when they play out the back. And then it gets to the forward third, and it looks like no one has a clue of what we're supposed to be doing. Arsenal did get a spark when Pepe subbed in for Enkedia and Aubameyang moved central. And I'm very interested to see if that's what Arsenal's plan going forward is because. As much as Aubameyang on the left has worked out, like when, and when he plays on the left, he's actually playing as a striker. Like the system is designed to get him chances uh, where a traditional number nine gets them. But it's just when it's when it's not working, it just doesn't look right. And so I, I do wonder if, especially with Partey coming in with. Um, maybe just the international break to work on some things. If we're going to see a, a little bit more permanent of a switch to that. I wish I had more to add, but I, I just wanted brain to do his thing right there because all I really took from this match is that Arsenal, they, this is the most legit I've seen an Arsenal team look in a minute. Uh, now with that being said, that 45 was a waste of my life and I'd like it back. Um, but this is a team who they play a very, I can't even describe it. They just look very solid to me right now. They look a proper squad. And again, I haven't seen that sort of consistency from Arsenal at the beginning of a season since the last time they did it and then it fell apart in the middle of the season. But I like the way that they look and Arteta has them like clicking very, very well. Sheffield United, I wish I could speak to them, but there was a little bit of a late fight back that gives me a little bit of hope, but I don't want to... I spent too much of this episode ragging on people. I don't want to rag on them. I expect a little bit better from them. I kind of hope that they give me a little bit better. Um, but Arsenal, again, look like a nice team. Bastards. Bring your mascot back. Ugh. <laughs> oh. I feel like we do need to. Uh, I feel like we do need to talk a little bit more about Nicholas Pepe's goal. Like that's why you pay the money for a guy like that to just beat a guy, go past him, the man stays beat, and then Pepe just neatly slides it into the corner. I I was very happy to see that, and hopefully Pepe gets a little bit more on track going forward. So I'll, I'll say this about Pepe and. Pretty much this has become my take as far as any expensive signings go. I need, if he does that week in and week out, I think I like we will start seeing this, the 75 million and every all the price tag being justified. But like the problem right now is he does show the quality, but it's just not consistent enough. And again, like it's a second season here. So I want to give him all the, you know, respect in the world. And hopefully he does come good this season. But Again, I think it's become a very common theme of people just clipping up these uh, goals when they come and, you know, not really taking into account everything else that they do. I mean, sure, but he won the game. I mean, sure, if that's how you want to look at it. I mean, I right, love, but it's I, like, I just think. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is like, you, you're right that he should be more consistent, but he had a chance and he took it. He took like, it. Uh, so. I mean, that is uh, ultimately what he can do. So, 
we shall see how he continues doing this. Did he get called up for the national team or is he staying back? Because I think that could really be beneficial for him. I'm pretty sure he got called up. I, I actually haven't looked at I, I've mostly been just watching David Ornstein's Twitter like a hawk for most of the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that definitely is going to be a signing that is going to help you guys as well. But the theater of dreams turned into a theater of nightmares for Manchester United as they got absolutely slapped 6-1 by Tottenham Hotspurs. A first-minute penalty drawn by Anthony Martial, scored by Bruno Fernandes. You'd think that it was about to be happy days for Manchester United from then on out, but you know, they came in. Anthony Taylor did his magic. Uh, VAR did theirs. And, um, well, yeah, I don't really have words. And then we had the deadline day happen. So, again, I think Manchester United fans, they're just running out of words. And uh, it's kind of sad to see what this club has turned into. Well, did you rejoice in seeing Manchester United fans being absolutely slaughtered by this result? I look, <laughs> I take joy in no one's suffering. Take from that sentence what you will. Um, however, can we talk about Tottenham? They they look really good. That's my biggest takeaway because I don't want to be an asshole in this podcast because I can't because I have to talk about what happened next. So all I talk about right here is how great Tottenham looked. Man, what a great squad they are. They played so well. And honestly, and this is like jokes aside, this could galvanize these boys going forward. They look better than I may have been giving them credit for. They got a decent squad. Mourinho's got the boys fired up. I didn't know he had them cocaine fired up, but apparently he did. So, hey, good on you. I don't like the two games we got to talk about right now because this is not fun for me. (laughs) It should be. Yeah, so I I think we have to give a good bit of credit for Spurs in this game. Uh, They survived uh, conceding a penalty very early. And, you know, sometimes when that happens, it, it really affects the game, but they were able to kind of answer immediately and it was game on from there. Uh, really, from that point, Spurs were pretty much on top of this game entirely. And I, I do think that the red card to Martial was just complete and total bullshit. Like, it's kind of a, even if it's... Agreed. Even if it's like retaliation, even if it's whatever, like you have you have VAR. Just go look at it. And once you look at it, I think the only reasonable thing conclusion is that it's just kind of two people, you know, giving it to each other. And I I don't know. Like it, it's I'm not gonna say that the red card changed the game because I think Spurs were on top at that point. But I think I, I think why you saw it turn into six one was because of that red card. I mean, I Anthony Taylor is a piece of shit. I mean, I I genuinely don't know how that was the conclusion that they came out of. And I think Mourinho, in a very Mourinho manner, just goes out and says that Manchester United can't really complain about VAR. And I'm like, I mean. A wrong decision is a wrong decision at the end of the day. Like, and you kind and when people say all the right decisions and wrong decisions always even out at the end of the season, like they don't. And you have VAR nowadays in order to make sure that you don't make wrong decisions. So it kind of was a pretty terrible, terrible mistake, in my opinion. And I mean, it's sad to see what's happening with the club. And um, I mean, it, I don't know, like having the hopes of Jaden Sancho to getting a absolute no-name kid from Uruguay is quite the fall from grace for Manchester United. So we shall see how Pochettino does in a couple of seasons or whatever happens, because I don't really see Manchester United do very well. But um, I was very broken after this game and uh, really just sat in front of the TV and I didn't want to change because I was just like, you know, I want to see, like, just watch Liverpool do their thing and absolutely humiliate what Manchester United has done so far. And I sat there and it something just happened and Aston Villa turned into fucking prime Barcelona for 
90 minutes and my frown became absolutely just like cheering Aston Villa on as if I've been their childhood supporter because that was fucking crazy. Aston Villa, seven, Liverpool two. I think that's the worst defeat for a defending champion we've ever seen. And um, maybe Mane and Alisson and Thiago mean that much for that team, but wow, like Jack Grealish, we kept talking about the boy celebrating his new contract. Here he was. He really fucking celebrated with three assists and two goals. Wouldn't you say so, Braden? Yeah, I, yeah. Bella, this really came out of nowhere. I would say, like, we we didn't see it coming, but, you know, we all put money on Villa in our prediction pods. Um, that was more about the line than anything else, but like, it, it pays off sometimes. Um, what did I say before the game, though? When I see Mane test positive, I'm like, yo, that Aston Villa bet all of a sudden is not looking as bad. And so true, it, but I also uh, didn't know that Allison was about to be out though. I yeah. had no idea. Allison was out. And that kind of threw me off. So I l- let me ask you this. If Allison is so important to the team, why were they undefeated after Adrian uh was in there for what was it four or five matches at the start of season last year will i'd like to say that virgil's confidence was a little bit higher at the beginning of that season than it is now or something happened in between then also they're maybe they're a little more well rested i i'll have a damn excuse so <laughs> fair enough i so i think, think they were more motivated because they wanted to win like they had a proper off season again like had a, and they were like hey we lost the title by a point we need to come back and win and this time around it's like it's going to be tiring for these players and the like it, it it just did not look good for him so i will say one thing yeah. about the point about the short off season is you know it's it's not just the physical nature of it right like it's i mean if you take a long vacation from work like a real a good like week week and a half, two weeks away from work to just kind of like decompress and not have to worry about it. You come back a lot more mentally refreshed and ready to go in and focus on what you have to do. And I think for Liverpool particularly, because they've won the champions league, they won the premier league. There's not really anything to kind of focus that team around right now. As far as a goal, it's just kind of going out and doing it again. And so I think potentially the shortened offseason might have an effect there as well in a way that it's maybe not going to as strongly affect uh, some teams that you know, are still trying to climb up to that mountain. A terrible fucking day at the office is really what this match felt like. I would love to sit here and make a thousand excuses and give you a bunch of bullshit reasons. But Aston Villa came out and beat the shit out of us. We looked discombobulated, which is a word I hate saying. Going forward, during certain points in the beginning, we looked like, you know, just what Liverpool does. We're going to go out, we're going to score, we're going to run you off the pitch. And then we just fell to a pile of crap. Lots of deflections, so I understand that that's the way the ball bounces, but if you're not there, the ball doesn't bounce that way. I don't know what happened. I wish I could say some magical BS would be fine, but like, I don't fucking know. It was an anomaly. It's everyone has a shitty day, and that was Liverpool's shittiest day. And it just so happened to come after they won Employee of the Month. Bad day at the office. So I'm going to take a little bit of an issue with that. Like, I think, you know. there were some errors. There was an error against Arsenal that led to Lacazette's first goal. There is an error by Van Dyke um, earlier in the season. I forget who it was. The Leeds game. The yeah, Leeds yeah, game. the Leeds game where um, Van Dyke just kind of took it very casually and Leeds scored. And then even that game when we talked about it on the review show of that week, we talked about uh, like Trent the was offside, but he heads it into his own net. Like, I think there's, I I think there's reasons to say that maybe this was not just a bad day at the office. And maybe this is 
the start of something. There's little, there's little cracks that keep happening. Little mental, like relating it to a person again. You know how sometimes you'll have those little moments where you forget, like I walk in this room and I don't know what I'm doing. You keep seeing these happen from the players on the pitch of just these little moments of either I'm too cool for this or it just slips for a second. And they're minor because, you know, it's Liverpool. They're the champions. They can kind of do what they please, question mark or quotation marks. But it keeps happening. And if it continues to happen more frequently, this team's going to go from the world beaters we expect them to be to just, you know, England COVID time beaters that they were. I think it could be turned around. And I think that comes with a little bit more focus and maybe a little bit of time to rest. But we shall see. I mean, here's the thing. At least Manny and Adder were down to 10. I'll tell you that. I mean, like, it, I don't want to be out here being like, hey, our result was better. It wasn't. We got fucking demolished at home, and that sucked. But this was... You got beaten by a better team. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, so did Madison, you. <laughs> so did you. Like, Ollie Watkins, <laughs> first half hat like, debut in the Premier League, first half. Tremendous transfer for them, baller. by like, the way. What the fuck? <laughs> When was the last... Like, that was fucking some Wayne Rooney shit when he made his debut for Man United. Like, that... And I'll tell you what, though. Jack Grealish, when he's on song, he's going to do this. And hopefully they can, you know, into a bit of a run and uh, hopefully finish a little bit higher than we where we have expected them to because they did make the... I mean, I guess not the signings that you would want them to, but... At the end of the day, Watkins did come in. They didn't manage to keep hold of Jack Grealish. So it looks like a better version of what Crystal Palace could have been when they held on to Zaha, wouldn't you say? Well, and Minks too. Like, they yeah, did a, Tyrone Minks stayed as well. They did a good job holding the team together and adding pieces that needed to be done with Emmy Martinez as well as, um, as well as Ollie Watkins. I mean, and... Like Brentford has some things going on there. Like I, hey. the, it would have been so much more fun than Fulham or fucking West, uh, West Brom so far. Like they just played a better brand of football than Fulham. Yeah, I, that's fair. Like I, Ben Arama is going to be back there in the Premier League. That that kid needs to come. I mean, the window for EFL clubs is still open. So thirteenth is the. I think that's right. Like I think that I think that's going to be something to watch because I think there might be movement there yes. that we're not expecting yet. Do you think so? Yeah, I mean, think of guys like uh, Wendia, uh, Benarama, like you mentioned. Uh, there's good players in the championship that I think some team might take a look at and say, "All right, well, now that now that our team is mostly settled, let's see if we can find a flyer to take and bring up." Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys went there, to be honest. Like, go for a Buendia. I mean, I'd take anybody who can play out in the wing, to be honest. Uh, doesn't really matter, given our options so far. But, I mean, I will say, though, um, I'd, what would you say would be the ceiling for this Aston Villa team? Like, let's over, if you wanted to overreact after that kind of a game, like, what would you say is their ceiling for the season? If you want to overreact, I think the overreaction is qualify for a Europa League spot and win the FA Cup. Okay. Damn. I mean, that's ex- like I said, that's extrapolating. Like we're talking ceiling. This is not likely to happen. I am not saying that is happening, but that's their overreaction. Yes, my overreaction. It was FA Cup semifinal and like twelfth, <laughs> so. I I shot lower, but I I this is a this is a cup team. If you want a random team to follow in a cup, I feel like this team is gonna make a nice deep run the FA Cup. Interesting. I mean, I I honestly did not take the cups into account at all. I th- I think <laughs> they could they could finish top half, and that would be and like you top half like eighth seventh. You start you start talking about Europa League positions. Definitely could see something like that. So I would sit somewhere in between, I guess, the two of you. But um, other than that, I mean, Liverpool, 
I do hope it's the start of something bad. But uh, if that is the case for Liverpool, I think it'll be the start of something very disastrous for Manchester United because we're about to face Chelsea, PSG and Leipzig very soon. So it's going to be an interesting uh, return from these international breaks. I don't, I'll give I'll give you guys one thing that I don't understand. Phil Jones and not Phil Jones, Phil Foden and uh, Mason Greenwood broke COVID protocol and ended up getting suspended from the team. Chilwell, Tammy Abraham, and Jaden Sancho were out there partying and essentially just have to get a test before they get into the England team. So it's funny how there are different standards for different players. And depending on how you want to look at it and Garrett Southgate definitely is going to hold this situation a little bit better, I guess, given his experience from the last one. So I think you can argue that it's a little bit different because uh, Foden and Greenwoods happened while they were with the England team. And so it's possible that Southgate takes a like, this is something I'm supposed to be able to control and they're like disobeying team rules. Whereas he can't, he can't control necessarily what the players do when he's not with the England squad. That's true. I guess uh, that is definitely an aspect to consider in this situation. But um, we will see if there are any more transfers that do happen between the Premier League and the Championship clubs. Um, I hope that there are there is some activity, but uh, we shall definitely see if there are some uh, bottom feeders that end up getting some of the talent that is out there. But on that note, we're going to call it a night. We will be back this week with a special podcast with uh, a review of everything that has happened in the transfer market. And we shall see you guys at, I guess that'll be on Friday. So I shall, we shall see you guys on Friday. Cheers guys. Enjoy the international break. And we'll meet you on the other side of the second. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll meet you someday, somewhere. I was like, on the other side of the set. And I was like, what's that? (laughs)